Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, if you guys could stand with me, and I'm going to read the passage for today, and um, at the end, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say thanks be to God. If you're new, this is just something that we, as some churches have done this forever, we started doing it a few years ago as an acknowledgement that God's words mean more than my words or your words or any of the words we're going to hear today, and that we're grateful that God's given us his word. So this is Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. He will render to each... Each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So we're in a series in Romans. Um, this, where we've been the last several weeks in Romans is Paul basically telling us like, how things got so bad. And Romans, the beginning of Romans has a lot of parallels that we've gone through between the first few chapters of Genesis in describing what happened. And so God created us good. He created us, declared us very good, created us for perfect relationship with him. Um, uh, he reveals himself to us clearly, to Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and Paul has said in this that he's revealed his eternal nature and his divine power to us. We've suppressed the truth. We've we rejected his revelation in the book of Genesis. And we decided to, to try to be God instead of trusting God. And really what we lost in that was our identity in him, who he said we were. We lost touch with that and instantly started searching for it, not in him, but in other things that he made. We worshiped the created thing instead of the creator and exchange the truth of God for a lie. And all sorts of desires spring up in our hearts. And his wrath, in part, is to give us over to those desires and let us seek those things apart from him. And so that's, you know, the last several weeks now explaining how we got where we are. Now he's telling us where this is headed. And in a word, it's judgment. He's saying it's headed towards a judgment. And that is throughout the Bible that it is headed towards a judgment. Uh, as John alluded to, this has been a heavy week for me, um, for me personally, like just a lot of stuff going on. And so, so most of that has to do with the fact that Bobby Joe, you know, a, a month or two ago got diagnosed with thyroid cancer and um, the surgery was supposed to be in June and a couple weeks ago the doctor's like, hey, I got an opening. And so, and so we were able to make that happen sooner and the prognosis for that is good, but there's just a lot with that. Um, uh, on, on top of that, uh, my mom had lung cancer four or five years ago, and that has come back, and the treatment options aren't great. And so there's just, a, you know, a weight to that. Let me, nice. <laughs> That's not, if mom, if you're watching, we're not laughing at that. It's just the confetti came out of the thing. So um, John mentioned that if you did not get that prayer request, we've got a group of people that you can send a, a request to prayer at oakcitychurch.com and we will pray for you. 
And so I sent that this week to prayer at Oak City Church. It went out to a group of people. If you want to get those prayer requests and pray for those prayer requests, but you're not on that list right now, and if you did not get that prayer request about my mom and my wife, you are not on that list right now. If you want to be on that list, um, the Connect card, take that Connect card, write prayer team on it, put your name and email, and drop it in the box on the way out because we'd just love to add to the numbers of people that are praying for the requests that come up. Um, so, so it's been a heavy week. On top of that, in this passage, I am tired of sick talking about sin and wrath and judgment. Like, it's been a long couple months of talking about it. And we have one more week next week, and then we timed this right so that we hit the part in Romans right on Easter where he starts getting into the guts of the gospel. And I'm tired of talking about it in large part because we have the gospel, and so we don't need to live in sin and wrath and judgment because, because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, and so we're, we're, beyond, we're beyond that because he's taking care of it for us. And I'm tired of it because it seems like it must have been, a, I don't think I've ever been in a church like this, but it's, all the church did was beat people over the head with sin and wrath and judgment and didn't talk about the gospel, and we don't want to be like that. And yet, I understand in going through this letter to the Romans, how it's set up and how you need to, really you need to understand your need for Jesus and the depth of your need for Jesus in order to appreciate the fullness of what Jesus has done for you and how sitting in it for a few months is beneficial and, and really has helped me understand with greater clarity the, like the, the depth of what happened, and particularly that in Genesis with Adam and Eve rejecting him and, and in that instant losing their sense of who they are in him and our hearts, as Calvin said, become an idol factory, and we search for all these other things and, and like seeing how that happens. So I understand the benefit of it, and in, in a sense, that happened to me again this week uh, when it comes to judgment. So this passage that I read is the beginning of it. I'm actually going through the rest of chapter 2 today. We've been going really slow through this. We're going to pick up the pace for a few weeks, and then we're probably going to slow down again. But today, I'm going to go through the rest of, through a big chunk of, um, of Romans with the rest of chapter 2, but it really starts and hinges on this first part. Now, this, and this first part, in understanding it, um, I, was, I was helped out a lot that we've mentioned this. We have a women's Bible study and a men's Bible study. They're going through Romans. The women meet on Thursday afternoons. The guys meet at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings. And you can jump into either of those because they're just like tracking basically along with the with the sermons, but you can just jump in and start studying. And both of them were super helpful for this, for this sermon. So a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm starting to like just nail down what I need to say about this passage. And I've read this passage a bunch of times, and it's a little confusing. Like I read five or six commentaries that couldn't agree on exactly why Paul put it in there. And then Becky Fitzgerald, as soon as I opened it up that day, texts me like, hey, this happened. Shana brought this to our Bible study. And I had settled on like this is about judgment, but this was perfect. So this is a little Bible geekery. Um, this would be good for you. Uh, but one of the things that you when, you, when you study a lot, what they tell you is that in... in in ancient times, there was a, like a grammatical structure they used called a chiasm if they wanted to make a point. They wanted to emphasize something. So they'd repeat it, but they'd repeat it in a certain way. So this is, do we have the ABC slide? So they'd, they'd make point A and then point B and then point C and then they'd remake point C and remake point A and remake point, or remake point B and remake point A. If you don't catch this or care about it, don't worry about it. Um, but so in this, and that's what's going to happen in this in this little passage. So you can go to the next slide. He will render to each one according to his works. Judgment. There's going to be judgment. B is like, this could be good news. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. 
and see is, but it could be bad news. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So catch this too, because this is part of what's confusing about the passage. For those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. We think of glory and honor and immortality as a self-seeking thing, like we seek it for ourselves. But the next verse is a contrast and so it's not for ourselves, but that second part is we're seeking that for the Lord, and that would be good news. Now flip to the next slide, and, um, and then it backs out of it. So it repeats the bad news. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Then the good news, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. And then judgment again, for God shows no partiality. Do you see the coming in and going out? How many people see that? Good, good. Uh, now, he adds something in this too for the Jew first and also the Greek. He repeats that and says God shows no partiality. And I said this early um, in the series or a couple times now that in the, in the church in Rome, they have Jewish Christians that were Christ, Jewish people that, this, that came to the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah the Old Testament prophesied about. And so now they're Christians and they've got Gentile Christians and Gentiles are anybody that's not a Jewish person. So most of us are, would be like in that Gentile camp. And now they're in the same church, and there's tension in there that we don't totally get. But, um, but he's speaking to it, and you can, you can see it in that. And so he's really saying two things here. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And God is a fair judge. Uh, and so then, and so then the, the last little bit of this passage that, that we read is, For all have, who have sinned without the law... The Jews have the law, the Gentiles don't. All who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Just for the benefit of you that are live streaming this thing, this is a big clap of thunder right there. Make me nervous. Um... So let me, let me point out a few things about judgment before we go on. How many of you would say you're a fan of judgment? How many are not a fan of judgment? How many would say it depends? What's it depend on? Who's getting judged? Yes. We are on the same page. Hey, if they are getting judged, you a fan of judgment? All right. If we are getting judged... Yeah, let's talk a little bit. Let's make sure we clarify some things. So let me let me try and make this point. If we if they are if we want judgment, if they are getting judged, let me throw a few things out there. There was a uh, there was a there was a um, uh, study that came out a few weeks ago and ended up with some headlines in the news that in essence said this: masks did not do any good. You guys see these stories a couple weeks ago. All right, now the fact that I have that on the screen, some of you are just mad right now. You know what I mean? And others of you are like, yeah, the whole time. You know? And I love the fact that in our church, we got people on both sides of that divide, whatever. How many of you want clarity, clarity, crystal clarity on how effective masks were? I do. Like, I, I don't know, but I, I want that. Um, there was another story in the same time frame where the Department of Energy, I don't know why they're studying this stuff, but they said that the coronavirus started in a lab in China. 
again, actually, I don't know why we care so much about where it started, unless it was weaponized, right? But like, this became a big thing. We want, we would like to know where it came from. We want judgment. We want truth. We want clarity. There were some videos that came out um, a couple weeks ago, I'm just stepping in all of it, of the Capitol building on January 6th. And, part, and I didn't watch a lot of that. I don't know. I'm, it's just something I haven't gotten into is January 6th. But of the guy in the buffalo headdress being like ushered around the Capitol building by a Capitol policeman like he was getting a tour. Now, 140 Capitol police officers were injured in that thing and a couple were killed. So it wasn't peaceful. But like what was going on there? I want to know. I want judgment. I want clarity. I want judgment of what happened. Let me show you another graph that is, is less divisive, but just as angering. So I found some stuff about how profit, corporate profit margins went up during um, COVID. And so I looked for a good graph on this, and this is the best thing I could find. So this is how much their profit margins went up from pre-pandemic levels. That's Molson Coors went up over 300%. So I don't, Canadians are paying a lot more for their beer, apparently. But the next one, Procter & Gamble, their, their profit margins went up 180%. Proc, you know what Procter & Gamble makes? Everything. They make everything. You want judgment? Who wants judgment? What's wrong with you people? We, we have gotten ripped off. They took advantage of a pandemic to rip us off. We want judgment. Um, this is why our crime shows never end with ambiguity. They're, they never end with like, well, I don't know who did it. On to the next one. Uh, they end in an hour. We figure out who did it. We throw them into jail and life makes sense again. Like that's what we want. And this is part of what Paul's saying is there's going to be judgment. Um, it's when Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, there's going to be judgment. When the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord over and over again, there's a promise that it's going to get adjudicated and judgment will be a reality. And as long as it's them, that's good news. If we are the ones getting judged, we got a few questions first. You know, this was a bit of Dan's passage last week um, where it's like, be careful about getting judgy because with the standard that you measure, it's going to be measured to you. And it makes you look in the mirror and think, do we really want judgment of us? Um, he might have said this, I think I said it a few weeks ago, everybody drives different when there's a cop behind you. Like when the judge is right there, uh, even if you think you're a good driver, which Dan's, most of you, most of us think, actually, no, you didn't think you were good drivers. I'm a pretty good driver. I drive differently when there's a cop behind me. Um, and, and he leaned into, like, we tend to give people the benefit of the doubt according to proximity. So the further away they are, the harsher we judge, the closer you are, the more lenient we are. I had an example of this um, last weekend, my favorite example about uh, referees. So we, last weekend, we were gone. Bobby Joe and I took Jonathan to a soccer tournament in Charleston. We have four, um, we have four kids, all of whom are here today. It's a blessing. It's great. And they all played soccer. They all went to tournaments. I don't think Bobby Joe and I have ever gone to a tournament together. So that was fantastic. Now, the first game um, we're playing, and it's late in the game. It's four to one. The other team has already had a kid kicked out for getting a red card over like a dispute over whose throwing it was, and this kid started throwing punches, and the ref gave him a straight red. Now, Jonathan is 14 years old, and I recognize this with the older boys. When they got to about this age, there's like one year when they're boys, and they're kind of nice, and they, they're okay, and then the next year, they're mad. 
They're just, they're a little bit bigger, a little bit hairier, and a whole lot angrier. And it's just testosterone all over the field, you know? And so that's where John, that's the age he's at. So Johnny, um, Johnny is late in the game. The game's 4-1, already over, getting chippy. Bodies this kid off the ball, no foul call because it wasn't a foul. Takes the ball away from him and passes the ball upfield. And so all the action goes upfield. And three, four, five seconds later, this kid comes by him, sweeps his legs out from under him, and Johnny's in a heap, like total cheap shot. I see it on the sidelines, and I am screaming at the ref. Um, which has never happened before, ever. Uh, I am screaming at the ref, you know, because then the ref is watching the ball, but the AR had to have seen it. I'm just mad. And then apparently Johnny bodied the kid, but you didn't get called for it later, did you? So he, got, he bodied the kid later, didn't get called for it. And after the game, I see Johnny talking to the referee, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what that's about. So I asked Johnny about it, and he said the ref came up to him after the game and said, that's not how you play the game, 18, and Johnny's 18. And he's like, well, what do you mean? That kid took me out, and you didn't call anything. And he said, well, that kid was smart because I wasn't looking. Oh, boy. Oh, like steam coming out my ears. I've never looked for a ref before because you're not supposed to talk to a ref if you're a parent after a game. We went to the ref tents tournament, lots of refs. The ref tent, we went to the concession stand. I all but went into the bathroom and checked the stalls, like to find this guy. Just to say, like, don't tell my kid he's the bad guy and the other kid is the smart kid, like, when he does that, right? Like, refs, just take it on the chin. Dan, you might not know this, Dan was a ref, like a big-time ref. Dan refed MLS games. Um, if you know, you know who Michael Bradley is, his dad was the coach for a few years, and he was the center, mid, center midfielder for the U.S. national team for years. Um, he gave Dan the business, and Dan gave it right back to him because he refed him once, like big time. Dan refed, there was a year when um, Manchester City, the fir- after the first time they won the Premier League, played Sporting Kansas City the year after they won the MLS in an exhibition game, and Dan refed it, like big-time ref. So I would watch Dan just to see him ref a game, and Dan was a great ref, and Dan can make a bad call, but hey, man, no one's perfect. You know what I mean? Because Dan's a little bit closer. My kids have all refed because it's a great job for a teenager to have, and so I went and watched Johnny ref yesterday. Man, you, you get on my kid's case for making a bad call when he's refing, I'm getting on your case, Right? The closer it gets to me, the better the ref gets. Um, I've thought about refing because I'm going to have three kids in college at the same time in a few years. Whew. Uh, but I don't know that they pay enough to take the abuse that you're going to take. So like the closer, the closer you are, the less judgy we get. You know, that's why judgment is problematic to us. And we wonder, like, is it going to be a fair judgment? And where Paul's driving this is it's going to be a fair judgment, and it's still a big, huge problem for us. Um, I thought through this week, what's necessary for judgment to happen? What do you need for judgment to happen? A judge. Good. This is the fourth on my list, but I realized that was going to be the first thing that people say. Pardon me? You need a standard. Yeah, you need a standard that you're going to be judged against. Authority. Yeah, authority. Someone. Well, that would be a judge. Someone who has the who has the right to make that judgment. Um, pardon me. Yeah. So I'll go through these. But that's right. It's in it. An evaluation. An evaluation, like of our fitness to those standards, and the evaluation would have to be based on evidence. And then you need consequences. This is how judgment works. Um, 
and we might resist judgment, but we are 100% that this is how things get done in the world. Like whether it's called judgment or not, you know, you want to get something done, you have an idea of how you want things to be, you have a vision, you set goals, and they could be on paper or not of like how you're going to get from here to there. You set milestones, you make progress or you don't, and you evaluate and you adjust. Like now there are schools apparently that are doing away with tests and like like Ivy League schools that are doing away with tests. And you can test, there may be unfair tests and the standardized tests, I can understand how those are unfair, but, it's, but it seems like I've heard they're just doing away with testing altogether. And that seems like a really bad idea because it's not how life works. My kids are driving age, right? You want to get rid of that test? No, you don't want to get like, there's some tests you better have. Matthew's becoming an engineer. I want engineers to take lots and lots of tests. Like that would seem important for an engineer. If you have a job, hopefully you get a job review, and in your job review, there's a standard, like your, your um, job description or your key performance indicators, and you're evaluated by a judge who is your boss, and hopefully they're a fair judge, and they have evidence based on which they will evaluate your performance, and they'll reward you accordingly. That's judgment, um, and, and that makes things go forward. You know, with your kids, the first thing you tell your kids should be, I love you. Like, make sure they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them. But the second thing you're going to tell them is some form of your actions have consequences. Because you know if they don't get that message, like, life is going to be difficult for them. Uh, so judgment happens all the time. And Paul's saying it's going to happen in this realm. And I add this too, that perfection has to be the standard unless you want the next life to be like this one. Like, judgment is how we go forward. And... Um, this is maybe my, you know, I don't know, my biggest bone to pick with just how people in general tend to think about how this is going to work. Like, this is not good enough, <laughs> like what we're living in right now. Um, and so when people say everyone's doing it, to err is human, to forgive is divine, nobody's perfect, like, that's true, but it's not going to get us any further than we are now. And so all of this speaks into what Paul's saying. And that, I'll repeat that last verse. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers who will be justified. And so there's a standard, and it's law. And there's an evaluator. There's, there's a judge, and there's a criteria. It's not the hearers, but the doers. And so he lays that out for us. Now, now he kind of gets into this divide in this church and some things that we can, we can guess at but not know completely. So he says, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law, and so the Gentiles are non-Jewish people, the Jewish people get the law from the Lord on Mount Sinai, the Gentiles don't have that. By nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So let me lean into this Jew-Gentile tension for just a second. This was the debate of the early church was do Gentiles get the gospel as well as the Jewish people? Do, do they get it also? And then how do they integrate together? And so in the men's Bible study, we got talking about this and how um, Peter, has a, is the leader of the early church, has a vision at one point. It's a sheet that comes down and all these animals that are unclean by Old Testament standards. And God says, rise and eat. And Peter says, I'm not, this is a test. I'm not doing that. I'm a good Jewish boy. And so the sheet goes up and comes back down and God says, no, really, rise and eat. He's like, I can't do that. And then it goes up again and comes back down. 
and he gets it, like what I've made clean, do not consider unclean. And Peter then goes and preaches the gospel to some Gentile people. It's, and it takes that to get them out of their mindset that this is just a Jewish thing, but that God, even though God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you be a blessing to the entire world as the father of all the Jewish people, like they've forgotten that. And he needs to remind them of that. In Acts chapter 15, there's something called the Jerusalem Council where they have this debate about um, when a Gentile becomes a Christian, how much of the Old Testament law do they have to obey? Which sounds crazy to us. And, and the big one is, do they have to get circumcised? Which is a big deal. And so they, they have this thing, and they're like, no, they don't have to do all that stuff. But that's the tension of the early church. When, um, when Paul... There's a guy in the Bible that wrote a couple letters, Timothy. No, Paul writes in Timothy. Timothy was an early church leader, and Paul is, disciples him. And when he does that, when he becomes a Christian, he's a Gentile, Timothy is, but Paul circumcises him. And he circumcises him just so that he doesn't have to have this dispute with every Jewish Christian that they minister to because it's going to come up every time. Like, it's this huge tension. Last one, Peter um, in Galatians Paul lets this out, that when Peter came to Antioch, which is a city in Syria where Paul and Barnabas ministered, and Peter comes up, it says at first he ate with both the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, but then some Jewish Christians that were huge into this debate came, and so Paul stopped eating with the Gentile Christians. Like, it's that type of racism, and Paul had to give them the business. So there's still this huge divide in the church, and they're feeling it, in the church in Rome. And part of it is understandable because the Jewish people had taken it on the chin for a thousand years, from Solomon to Jesus. You know, they had their, their moment in the sun with Solomon, but then they had a divided kingdom and they went into exile and then they came back to Israel, but they're occupied and they're just trying to survive. And so they become insular, but in their own way, arrogant. And Paul is speaking into this. Uh, and really, it's, is, is God a fair judge? And this first part when he speaks to the Gentiles, he says everyone has a conscience and they will be judged according to it. Like God's law is written on our hearts. And um, that's true. And, and so at the beginning of Romans where he said his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. God has revealed himself to us. And part of that is the law that he has put in our hearts. He goes on, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Like there's an element of conscience. And so that would explain, you know, why all the major religions of the world have a, have a very similar morality. The problem isn't the morality is different, it's that, it's that we can't keep the morality and the, differ, the big difference in the religions is what do we do about it? And the answer for us is Jesus. Um, the beginning of mere Christianity, the first five chapters are C.S. Lewis talking about this, this law within ourselves, which is really what led him to put his faith in Christ and to start considering it was he knew he had an ought to that was so strong inside of him, but he ought not have an ought to if we are just the product of random mutations, you know, like that standard has to lie someplace else. Even he would say in our culture, I think you'd say this, like the left thinks they're right and the right thinks they're right, but we're, we're both appealing to a higher standard that says I'm more right than you are. Um, and so Paul is leaning into this, and then it, at the end of that little section, he says their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges 
the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And this is what he's saying. God is going to be a fair judge. Like even if you don't have the Old Testament law, you have a standard that he's given you. And there will be an evaluation. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Um, and there is a judge. Will be, he'll judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus and their consequences that he's laid out earlier. So he has that little section with the Gentiles. And then he pivots and he, um, and he speaks to the Jews. Uh, and again, the Jews had this air, air of superiority about them that I think is most evident in this little passage that, that I'm about to read. And I envision the Gentiles in that church as this letter is getting read to the Roman church with a bowl of popcorn sitting back going, all right, Paul, you give it to them. And before we get too comfortable in that, I wonder how strong the parallel is between the Jews of their day and the church of our day and the Gentiles of their day and the unchurched of our day. Um, I said this a few weeks ago that, um, that I'm jumping out of something. I'll jump right back in. That we're built for law. Like he puts us in the garden and says, don't eat from that tree or surely you'll die. We're built for law. It, in Jesus, we have grace, but we tend to think it's grace plus law. That's where we start. Like Jesus did his part, but I have to do my part too. That's not it. And then we think it's grace and then law. Oh, Jesus did his part and that's what I need. But then there's, I still got to do this stuff. And then, but then, and Paul is driving us to this grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And, and that's, where this is, that's where this is moving into. And it's easy to get stuck in grace then law and feel better about ourselves than, than we ought or better about ourselves for the wrong reason. Um, and so he starts in on the Jews and he says, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, so they got the law from God on Mount Sinai, not just the Ten Commandments, but hundreds of laws regarding how to live. And you boast in God because you're God's chosen people. And you know his will because he gave it to you. And you approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law. Um, so there's this national pride that goes along with being um, Jewish in that day. And if you are sure that you yourself, you yourself are a guide to the blind, listen to how condescending this is. A guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, and a teacher of children. So you, you can see, but everyone else is blind. You have the light, but everyone else is walking in darkness. You are wise, and everyone else is foolish. And like you're the adult in the room, and everyone else are basically children. Like that's pretty condescending. And again, if you're a Gentile in that church, you can see how the hangover of that attitude is a problem. And then he turns it and says, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Do you get it? He has given it to the Jewish, the Jewish Christians in that church right now. Um, similar to last week's passage made me think of a line I saw a couple years ago where a guy said, you, we all have a public life and a private life and a secret life. Well, we've got a public life we let everybody see and a private life that the people closest to us can't help but see and then a secret life that's in here that we couldn't share if we wanted to because there's too much that goes on in there, but we wouldn't share um, if we had to, you know? And so when Jesus says things like, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Like he's getting into the heart 
And if you harbor anger for somebody, you've already murdered him. He's getting into that secret life. And Paul is getting into that secret life with them and saying, you boast in the law, but you dishonor God by breaking the law. And then he says this, for as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And that is a hammer blow to these Jewish Christians, right? You think you're a guide to the blind and a light in the darkness. They don't think more of God because of you. They think less of God because of you. Like that hits home. And, but like that hits home now. I don't know how many of you heard the saying, they love Jesus, it's the church they can't stand. You've heard that before? Like, that's what's going on. People love Jesus, they're cool with Jesus, but the church, mm. um, I follow church scandals pretty closely in part because I don't want to think that I couldn't become one. Like, they're a, like a cautionary tale, you know, um, whether it be sex or power or money. How many of you have been a church, part of a church that's had some form of scandal? That's a lot of hands. Uh, just the last few weeks, the former Southern Baptist Convention president had been accused of having an affair with a pastor's wife that he initially denied, but now he's countersuing and admitting to doing it. Um, but apparently it's okay for him to speak because a couple of his friends said he's good now, having nothing to do with the church where it all happened. Like, I'm furious about that. Uh, the Liberty guy, Jerry Falwell Jr., is suing the university for $8 million. I'm like, what are, what are we even doing? Like, what does the world see when they look at all this stuff? What do they think? And I think that's what they think. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so Paul is giving it to them. And then this last little bit, um, it's almost like one of the Rocky movies or Creed movies now um, where the guy wants to go down like he's trying to get out of the corner, but they throw him back in the corner and just Paul just keeps punching him. And he says, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, that's not a big deal to us. It is to a Jewish person because the, the circumcision is the sign, the mark of the covenant with the Lord. When, when people in that time made a covenant, like they would, there was a, like a visual of the consequence. So in, in Genesis chapter 15, um, God, is, God is establishing his covenant with Abraham, and he has them take these animals and cut them in half and splay them out. And then he puts them in some type of a trance, and this fire pot passes between those animals. And it's like God is saying, if, if we break this covenant, may we be like these animals. That's what it is. And so circumcision in some way is like, if we break this covenant, like, we will be cut off from life. And you can see how circumcision would do that, right? Um, or it's close to it. So, like, circumcision is this big deal, and it's theirs. And they could be forgiven for thinking, as long as they have circumcision, they are God's special chosen people. They are dad's favorite. <laughs> or that's what they thought. Uh, God likes us better than everyone else. Even though that was never true, they were God's chosen instrument to bring salvation to the world through Jesus. Not God's favorite. That's where they were at the time, in their own minds. And so he goes on and says, If a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And he's saying, and Paul's a Jew. 
saying, you're not so special. For no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And again, the Gentiles in the church have to be saying, you tell them, Paul, to whatever tension there is. But honestly, I think this is so harsh that you probably could have heard a pin drop when they read that letter for the first time, and the Jews are steaming a little bit. And what he's saying in all of it is, there is going to be judgment. And God is a fair judge. Uh, And he's saying that to us. Now, we move forward in Romans. Paul says plenty about the law. One One of my favorite verses in Romans. Romans 5, 20, 21. Now the law... The standard came in to increase the trespass, to increase sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Where sin increased, grace went crazy. Grace abounded. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the standard shows that we need the gospel, but shows that we, are, we, are, we have nothing without grace. Um, this is Eugene Peterson's translation of that passage, in, in, um, of that verse in, um, in the message translation. All that passing laws did against, did, all the passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, grace invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, a world without end. Um, There's something in that tension between the Jews and the Gentiles that they lean into but not completely understand. But at the end of the day, judgment is coming. There's a standard whether you're Jewish or not. You want that standard to be high um, because if the standard is only as high as we are right now, if we are enough, then the next life is going to be a bunch of us's and that ain't good enough, right? The standard is the righteousness that God created us for. There will be an evaluation. There are consequences and God is a fair judge. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, Paul says, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He's going to judge. He'll judge our secrets. He'll judge us by Jesus. There will be an evaluation. And we will come up short. Everyone. Not Jews, Gentiles, church, whatever. I don't want anyone to fail a judgment. We are going to fail the judgment. Next week, as we close this section, it drives towards the line, by the works of the flesh, no man will be justified. That's where Paul's been taking the whole thing. And that is a scary thought and should be 
you will not pass the judgment. On our own, we will be declared guilty. We have rebelled against God and tried to be God in our own lives. We have sought all sorts of idols to take his place. We have all sorts of disordered desires that lead to death, and we cannot keep ourselves from going after them. One of the commentators said, we cheapen the gospel if we represent it as a deliverance only from unhappiness, fear, guilt, and other felt needs instead of as a rescue from the coming wrath. And that's what Paul is saying. We are at the mercy of this judge. Thank God Paul has some unbelievable news for us (laughs) in the coming weeks, right? This is why Jesus had to live a perfect life because only a person who lived a perfect life and didn't deserve the judgment themselves, could take judgment on behalf of another. And so he lived the perfect life so he could take our judgment, and that's what he did. One of my favorite stories is from a a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And um, he tells the story of Fiorello LaGuardia, who is the mayor of New York that they named the airport after. And when he was mayor, he apparently ran night court as well, just to keep in touch with the people. And one night, he had a woman come into night court, and she was charged with stealing bread. And she was like, yeah, I stole the bread because I had to feed my grandson. Like, what was I going to do? And he's like, well, you stole the bread, so I'm going to declare you guilty because you are guilty. And then he stepped down off of the bench and came around the front and paid her fine for her. And then he went on to charge everybody in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a woman had to steal bread to feed her kid. (laughs) Uh, but that's what God has done for us. We are guilty. I am guilty, right? But he has taken, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he on the cross took our condemnation for us. And that is the That is the engine room of the gospel where things move forward. And then he rises from the dead to show us that he has power over sin and death and he can remake us into the people that we were created to be. And so he drives us to judgment so that we're ready to go to the next steps. And what we we have to do, um, in another place in Romans, he'll say, Uh, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift. And so you have not received the gift, which is him taking the judgment for you. Man, receive the gift. We are not trusting in our ability to keep the law. We're not trusting in grace plus law. We do our part. God does his part. We're not trusting in grace then law like we're justified with him but then we got to get it together we're trusting in grace after grace to grace after grace and we just learn more and more about the grace of god that he's shown to us in christ jesus i'm going to ask you guys to, to um, bow your heads and close your eyes in a minute um, you'll have the opportunity to take communion and um if, if you're new though this is the, we'll have a couple people up here, and at any point during the next few songs, if you've, um, you know, trusted under Christ for for who He is and what He's done on your behalf, we invite you to do this as He commanded us to do: to remember what He's done for us. That this is His body that was broken for us, and this is His blood that was shed for us. And as we um, move into this, um, as I said, I. This is heavy stuff. It's been a heavy few weeks. It's been a heavy few months. 
and we're not going to stay there. It's not meant to leave us there. But it is meant to give us a crystal clear understanding. of just how much God loves us and what Jesus has done for us and to appreciate what we're celebrating in a couple weeks um, with Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday that this is the hinge of history and it is what we do with these days is the hinge of our own lives and our own eternity because we got a problem we can't fix. And thankfully, we have a God who has offered to fix it for us. Father, thank you for grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace shown to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen.